on to your butts. <laughs> Welcome to episode 63 of the Civil War Breakfast Club. Tonight I am joined by the guy who not only survived a nor'easter the other day, but more than that, survived drinking a Labatt Blue on our Halloween roundtable the other night. Proof that not all heroes wear capes. I'm his sometimes grumpy co-host, Mary. How are you, Darren? Well, oof, I don't know. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you stole that from a Shakespeare play. That I did, that I was, did. That was right from Othello, I think. I feel like Fantastic. that was kind of flat. I almost was like, can we redo that? Because I felt like I was kind of flat at the end. I'm like, I'm his there co-host, a, Mary. There, there was an Northeaster. There were clouds. They looked like Howard. Because they were missing the right side. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Anyway, uh, was it pop on? culture? Halloween's over, Mary. Move on. It's over. Fucker. It's over, Mary. Wow. Wow. Someone's been in the bitch orchard. Oh, jeez! Look at you! Look at you! <laughs> that didn't take long. That didn't take long. So how? So how? What's going on? What's What's going on with you? How How are things? Well, it's actually um, like we're obviously into autumn, which is my favorite season. So it's beautiful mm-hmm. colors up here in southwestern Ontario. And you have a good Halloween. I did actually. Yes, very, very good cool, Halloween. Very cool. We can't we... too many cars. <laughs> Not this year. How about oh, you? How was your Halloween? I was just chilled, stayed in, just took it easy, sat outside. And... You know, just try to scare the local kids, the usual stuff, you know, oh, yeah. but that's it was a good time. Halloween's great. So we're on to, we're on to November, we're on to some big and yep. better things. <clears throat> We've decided before we go into our libations, we're going to focus on another single person today. Mm-hmm. We did this before. And so this time we're going to be looking at the other side of the coin yep. and talking about a confederate by the name of William Barksdale. Yes. So that's what we're going to do. So William Barksdale. So, so anyway, before we get started, actually, no, you're the... No, you you are no damn it, damn, damn the torpedoes, Mary. What are you drinking? I am drinking um, Psycho Thrill Seeker Double IPA by Flying Monkeys Brewery, which is a Canadian brewery, obviously, because I can only get Canadian beer here. Um, and I'm drinking out of my Ride with the Winter Mug, which John Leroux of Leroux Design and Redbubble sent us. And yeah, definitely go check out his shop because he's got some cool stuff. I don't want to copy you, but I am also drinking from my Ride with the Winter Mug. I am not wearing a cape today, Mary. But I'm drinking the libation from the north, the great Labatt's Blue today. Oh, God. The delicacy from the Northlands. That's what I'm drinking today. God. I got a couple left over, so. I'm kind of sad you're not wearing your I I Heart Howard shirt. Oh, you know what? They came and took that away. (laughs) Anyway, so as I was saying before, Mary, we are going to talk about William Barksdale. Now, a lot of people have have heard of him because they've seen the Gettysburg movie, and a lot of people have studied him on the Confederate side, so... We're going to talk a little bit of background with him. We're going to kind of focus on him and um, talk about some of the different battles and the interesting character that is William Barksdale. So he's born August 21st, 1821 in Smyrna, Tennessee, which is about 30 miles southeast of Nashville. He was an older brother. was a guy named Ethelbert Barksdale, a member of the First and Second Confederate Congress. And did you know he was the one to introduce legislation, Mary, to have blacks fight for the Confederacy? Wow. And finally, finally, at the end, they said, OK, fine, but it was way too late. So he's the one who introduced the legislation, which is ironic considering who his brother is. His brother is William Barksdale. Yes. Academically, he went to the University of Nashville and he would go on to become a lawyer in, uh, in Mississippi. So um, not long after that, he quits his law practice. and He becomes the editor of the Columbus Democrat, which is an extremely pro-slavery newspaper. Imagine the you know the funnies in that newspaper. I don't oh think that, God, you know, he, he's oof. also a very vocal pro-slavery advocate as well. well so he's not uh, we're not talking about a guy who is a great human at all. He's the type of guy when your kids go to get the Halloween candy, you check the candy. 
Exactly. He, that's, oh, yeah. that's who he was. He joins the 2nd Mississippi Infantry in the Mexican War. After Mexico, he's going to join the U.S. House of Representatives, Mary, mm -hmm. promoting a hardcore states' rights philosophy called fire eating. Yeah. Okay. What that was is just a very pro-secessionist, pro-slavery platform. He, he believed what he said. And he said what he believed. He was a big, loud, obnoxious, aggressive guy standing over six feet tall and 250 pounds, one too many trips to the DQ for him, I think. <laughs> and he's a guy who, on May 22nd, 1856, he was standing right next to Congressman Preston Brooks while he caned my Massachusetts man, Charles Sumner. Yep. Can you believe that? Yep. Again, like you said, he's described as the most ferocious of fire eaters. And not only is he, you know, standing there watching uh, Sumner get caned by Preston Brooks, on February the 5th, 1858, there's a brawl that breaks out in Congress, uh, pro and anti-slavery, and Barksdale takes a swing at Elihu Washburn. But then Cadwallader, Elihu's brother, is there, and he, like, just kind of attacks Barksdale. And in this attack, he rips his wig off, and everybody stops fighting and starts laughing. And that ends this, what could have been more violence in Congress at this time. And it ends over Barksdale losing his wig. And he grabs it, and he's so mad, he puts it on quick, puts it on backwards. <laughs> and they're all laughing. Hey, it's like I prom all over again, you know? <laughs> exactly what happened so it ended up being a real big fiasco it ended up a big laugh and that was kind of it but you mentioned before he has a real super fiery temper yeah he was arrested for intoxication many times had to have been canadian had to have been oh at least and, some canadian blood in there for that but he he's the type of guy who you want to take to the bar if you want to make the newspaper that's yeah. who he was he was just that type of guy January 9th, 1861, Mississippi becomes the second state to secede from the Union, joining South Carolina, who bailed on December 20th, 1860. Barksdale immediately quits Congress to join the Mississippi militia as mm -hmm. a brigadier general. This is the militia now, not the army, on March 21st, 1861. Now, it's interesting. Now, you could, when you're researching this, it's, fun, it's funny to how you read. And I, a lot of my research, research came from a very pro-Southern writer. Some of the, the talk about is... Barksdale, despite his heavy pro-secession, pro-slavery beliefs, actually wanted to keep the Union preserved, of all things, Mary, because of how aggressive the Northern congressmen were. He felt he had no choice but to secede, which is kind of, I'm not sure how that flies, but that's how it was. I don't so, know. It's kind of like, what are you saying, that after the fact sort of thing? But I mean, not really to digress a bit here, but the one thing I noticed about Barksdale is there's not a lot written about him. Like there doesn't seem to be, I know there's a Barksdale charge book about Gettysburg and all that, but you know, this was one of the, I found it one of the more challenging episodes to research, which I enjoyed because of that, but there's not a lot of background information on him. No, I think I, I, it's tough to say. May 1st, 1861, Barksdale does get appointed as a colonel of the 13th Mississippi. Mm -hmm where he'll go and fight in places like First Manassas, yep. places like Ball's Bluff. And he kind of goes around everywhere. He ends up on the peninsula for a while, the Seven Days Battles. He'll command a brig his brigade at Malvern Hill, right? And he'll it'll be known as the Barksdale's Mississippi mm -hmm. Brigade, yep. which you want to talk about the most least creative name. Okay, that's what we're going to call Was it there guys. a reason? Like, I was wondering, I couldn't find the answer. Was there a reason why they were called Barksdale's Mississippians eventually too? Like, is it something, if the like, just because they were all Mississippi brigades or is there anything else behind that? I think it's because the same that. reason why it says Sheridan on the Greystone. Oh, God. Same cause. I think it's because he, has, he was from Mississippi and Mississippians. So we had some Florida guys do it. It's okay. Yeah. But he became a ferocious strong fighter in that battle at, at, at Malvern Hill. Robert E. Lee, he says of, of Barksdale after the battle of Malvern Hill, he, uh, he had the highest qualities of a soldier. So his star was clearly on the rise within the Confederate Army. He finally gets that Brigadier General title 
on August 12, 1862. Mm-hmm. So he ends up, you know, moving along with Lee's army. Barksdale's Mississippi Brigade is going to join Lee on that Maryland campaign. And he's going to be attached to Lafayette McClaw's division under James Longstreet. Mm-hmm. Now, it's on the Maryland campaign that he's going to help capture the Maryland Heights, which led to the surrender of that garrison at Harpers Ferry, including the great George Lamb Willard that we talked about in his New Yorkers. Yep. We're going to talk about them a little later. Yeah, we so are. So file that and put, put that in your pipe and smoke. And we'll yep. talk about him later on, Mary, okay? And, you know, he's going to fight in places like the Westwoods and Antietam. Um, I'm sure he bumped into somebody you knew there, realistically. <laughs> yeah, well, he starts off in, you know, the Westwoods. It's, that's where Sedgwick is fighting. And Sedgwick is another one that is going to come up with him, too, that he's going to fight against later as well. But Sedgwick gets wounded at Antietam and it's Howard that's got to come in and take over for him. So it very well could have been uh, Howard who Barksdale was fighting against. There's our OO reference. Everybody take a drink. Um, oh, I don't, I don't know who, who Howard was. I'm glad you cleared that up. <laughs> going along to Fredericksburg, this is where Barksdale is going to d- be defending the waterfront from the Union soldiers attempting to cross the Rappahannock River. And I think he's got his men in like kind of some of the houses that are down closer to the river and sharpshooting and everything else, right? You know, he's going to end up, you know, in Fredericksburg. Robert E. Lee, just to set this up again, you always go, yep. we can turn back time and talk about that episode from last, last year. Mm-hmm. Robert E. Lee finds himself due to Henry Halleck's slow boat from China, the pontoon boats, yep. right? In a very strong defensive position just outside of Fredericksburg, Virginia, right? His army is set up on the heights, and Lee is itching for a fight at this point. He's in a place called Maurice Heights, and he was just sitting back, rubbing his hands together, just praying and waiting that Union um, Union Commander Ambrose Burnside is going to cross the river and come attack him. So Lee had McClaw's division on Maurice Heights behind the town, and he had Richard Anderson on his left with George Pickett and then John Bell Hood. That's kind of how he had him, and it was a very strong position. Longstreet, though, gave McClaw's a tougher attack a task and that was he had to tell him to go guard that fredericksburg riverfront and it's a tough position because the union artillery is right in your face and they wanted to keep the rebs away from there so they could want to fire and fire but the only real place to post the infantry really because of that point was the houses in fredericksburg to your point right there yeah or try to get behind anything you can get behind because the union artillery was that good mcclaws is going to task this uh, to Barksdale, who's perfectly suited for this role. So his battle-tested brigade. Now, don't forget, these guys have been around a while now. Yeah. Now, they're losing numbers, and they're, they're going through battle through battle, but they're vets, and they're not going to run away from our little artillery. December 10th, 1862, at night, Longstreet correctly guesses, by the way, that Burnside is about to cross the Rappahannock yep. and cross into Fredericksburg, figuring, figuring they couldn't stop them because of the artillery strength for the most part, but he figured he could slow and harass them as they had crossed the river just long enough to be a pain in the ass. So Barksdale is going to have two of, his, two of his regiments, the 17th and 18th Mississippi, along a quarter-mile riverfront line, stretch them out and looking for any signs of Burnside's men trying to cross. On December 11th, about 4 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning, they're going to be guarding three points of access. One mm-hmm. is going to be the site of the, of the Roe Ferry, which is right in town. One is going to be near the railroad bridge, and one is going to be a place called the Deep Run, which, again, is not how it relates, no matter how it sounds, okay? <laughs> but he knows reality is that's one of those three places or more, it might be all three, is probably where Burnside's probably going to try to go. So 5 o'clock in the morning, they're at that rope ferry site. Barksdale's Mississippians, with they had a little help from the 8th Florida with them, they hear sounds of pontoons splashing into the water. Right. Yeah. And it was dark and it was very foggy. You couldn't see it. You couldn't see anything in front of your face. They could only hear them. So Barksdale is going to order his men to just fire at the sounds. Just if you hear some shoot at it. Right. 
Now, these men who were crossing and putting the pontoons, they were not infantry. These are workers. Yeah. Right? These are engineer types. And this is so, one of those, like, this is not the shit I signed up for. Like, this is no. far above my pay grade. No. No, they, they are going to crescent moon it pretty quickly as soon as they hear the, the mini balls <laughs> whizzing by their ears. Okay. What's amazing is once the fog burned off, they were stunned to see the nearest pontoon was only 80 feet away from their line. They actually got pretty close. Wow. Right. Going up the down the river a little bit, at that railroad bridge, the second point of access, Burnside is also trying to cross, uh, and they have rebel sharpshooters, and they're, they're right there, and they're taking shots at them as well. The workers pull out their F this card and yep. say, we're not going to do this. They abandon. This ain't going to happen. But at the deep run, though, this is where the, the Union guys get gets it's different. So the deep run, the Rebs, um, they're not they're going to run out of luck because the workers are able to do their jobs thanks to the fact that the fog is so thick and hid them, and they were quiet, right? But also, they were putting down two bridges instead of one. So they had, if one failed, they had another option. So the Union artillery at this time is starting to fire, but Barksdale's vets, again, they're veterans. They just hit the ground. They just, they're yeah. just going to hug the ground Custer style, apparently, and just going to hold on to it and mm-hmm. stay there as long as they can and wait for the fire to stop is what they're going to do. Burnside on the Union side is hoping and praying that the artillery would make the Rebs run and force them back to retreat through the town. But instead, as soon as the artillery slowed, the Rebs merely went back to the business of picking up the Union workers, yep. sharpshooters, right? They're trying to put the pontoons but down. Many of these Rebs were hiding in basements. And as soon as they stopped hearing it, they came up and just started shooting again. Yeah, you well, know, they so- had so much. Like, I mean, it's actually, I can't imagine how tough that would have been. Like, Barksdale made it really, really tough for them. You know, and, and then one thing about uh, William Barksdale, and this will go right until the end, is he's so aggressive. You know, he's very aggressive and he seems to have passed that along to his men, in this too and just like this determined stand that they're taking against these against these troops building the pontoon bridges well talking about the bridge barksdale is going to say later and he's quoted saying tell general lee that if he wants a bridge made of dead yankees i can furnish him one that's the quote he says (laughs) did he get the one with the bang bridge on it (laughs) might have but he's thinking i'll just keep shooting these guys you know they want to walk across their dead comrades we'll we'll take care of that for them so again to your point he's aggressive and he's Mm -hmm. that he's that guy the pontoon workers, though, they did continue their work in the face of this musket fire, and slowly they are going to make progress, especially when that morning light made it brighter. Because as soon as it's bright out, you know what the artillery does? It can find where those rebel sharpshooters are yep. aim at them. And that's what happens. This goes back and forth. Now, this is on the day of December 11th. Mm-hmm. This goes back and forth till 4.30 in the afternoon. Yep. That's how long this goes for. Finally, Barksdale is going to get orders to have his men fall back to a place called Caroline Street. The federal infantry is now crossing en masse. Now they're at the bridge yep. down, and now they're coming. Barksdale was pissed at this order. He wanted to fight until the very last man. He wanted to stay there. He wasn't going to have it. So he reluctantly fell back, leaving the 21st Mississippi to cover the retreat. That's, right. That's how it's going to go. Now, there's a cool story about this one, Mary. I don't oh. know if you've heard this one, okay? It's not that kind of story, <laughs> but it's a cool story, okay? In the rear, there's a guy named Lieutenant... Ooh, Savannah. Um, <laughs> Again, you're embarrassing the children. <laughs> Lieutenant named Lane Brandon, okay? He's an alumnus of, guess where, Harvard Law School. That's where he's from, okay? Now, he's a 21st Mississippi guy. Yeah. And he's part of that covering regiment, the 21st. Brandon learns in his regiment, in his front, is that 20th Massachusetts we talked about, okay? This is commanded by a guy named Henry Abbott, who is a schoolmate of Brandon. And guess what? Brandon hates him. So Brandon now finds out Abbott is in his front and he wants him bad. 
He wants him bad. So he halts the retreat and sets up a rear guard and sets up a defensive line. And he's going to wait for that 20th mass. He's going to set up a, basically a, um, a defensive line just to wave them to come. We're going to, we're going to pound. Yeah. And they're going to arrive and it's going to go back and forth and back and forth. But what happens is the 21st Mississippi, finally, they go, where the hell are they? They don't need to get back here. They send an order to, re- to kill them to get the hell out. And Brandon was, again, he was pissed because he didn't get his chance to get Abbott. He was so pissed that when he got back to the headquarters, he lost his shit, lost it. To the point where they had him arrested. Whoa. It was that so he, wow, that's he like me on arrested. a Tuesday, isn't it? I think, I think it might have been, you know. <laughs> But he, he was, so you could, the point is Barksdale, his attitude, whatever it was, trickled down, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it shows how personal these battles were sometimes. I don't know what happened with old Lane Brands and, and, uh, and Henry Abbott. Probably had to do with some girl, especially at Harvard. God, snob, <laughs> snobs up there. But that's probably what happened. It, it probably ended up some sort of, some sort of issue. He got so mad that he had to be, he had to be detained by his own guys. Oh my right? God, that's crazy. Um, but I, I think I think though when you think about Barksdale, I mean it's a cool story with that his aggressiveness. But I think when you think of William Barksdale, it's really his Gettysburg story that I think most people know and most people understand about him. Yeah. Well, when um, you hear the it, name yeah. Barksdale, like you think Barksdale's charge, which there, I you know some stuff I came across on, online said it's the other high watermark of the Confederacy. That this is a big part of what Gettysburg is is this Barksdale's charge, and it is to do as we're going to talk about in a little bit, like. His aggressiveness shows through in this, and he gives it right till the very last. He is one of those guys. He was who he was. Yeah. You know, we, we talked before in many of this episode where if somebody did, you know, you mentioned things like Phil Carney, what he did at Chantilly, right? Yeah. Was that something he could do again if he lived that? Would he do it again? You know, we talked about, about Leonidas Pope, right? How he rode the line. Yeah. Could he have done it again the next day? Was it a one-time thing? This guy was full tilt, full time with this stuff, right? Yeah. So just to re- reset the second day's battle at Gettysburg. So uh, Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, Barksdale's men is still under McClaws, which yep. is still under Longstreet. They're part of that endless countermarch of James Longstreet on July 2nd, yep. 1863, right? Longstreet's attack was supposed to be what was called an echelon attack. Mm-hmm. I mean, Barksdale was going to have to wait until the brigade on his right, which is Joseph Kershaw from South Carolina, okay, yep. until he went forward. And the whole point was, this brigade goes forward. Hopefully, you, you start to make damage. The Union pulls troops from another regiment or another brigade, creates yep. a gap, and the next brigade goes and breaks through. It's an, that, that was the whole plan. Yep. But the key to it is you have to be able to have patience and wait. So he's just sitting in the woods, and he's yep. stewing. I mean, he's sitting there. He's like you waiting for the liquor store to open at 5 minutes at 10 in the morning on a Tuesday. And I've been there. Growling. Actually, no, that was a Sunday morning. I was waiting for it to, I was sitting in the parking lot at 5 to 10, waiting for it to open. True story. No, he he is like so impatient and he has a conversation with Longstreet just before the charge happens and he's like I wish you would let me go in general I would take that battery in five minutes and Longstreet's all like "Uh, we have to wait a little we're gonna do it presently uh I need to go see Kershaw you just go sit in the corner talk to you later well that was that was before he went because that was before he over he went around the chain of command so yeah but just you know Barksdale he's in charge of four regiments in this Mm -hmm. place okay he's got the 17th 18th 13th and 21st Mississippi okay the 13th was his old one that's who he's Mm -hmm. in charge of and they're sitting on that wood line while they're sitting there they're behind a line of, of rebel lines of batteries right the guns from the Peach Orchard, the Union guns, are just trying to hit those Confederate yeah. uh, artilleries. And just like the you know the next day of Pickett's charge of the Rebs, the Union's overshooting. 
and they're going in the woods. And that's where Barksdale's guys are. And they're getting hit. And he he doesn't like that. He's not having any of that. I'll get Barksdale, six foot plus, 250 pounds, former lawyer, former politician, is getting more and more pissed as every moment. He's like Captain Caveman. That's who he's turning into, right? He wants to find McClaws and says, Mm -hmm. okay, I need to, he's trying to plead plead his case. McClaws goes, nope, sorry, I have orders. You got to wait, you know? So like you said a second ago, He's going to bypass the chain of command at this point, go around McClaws, and he's going to find Longstreet, yeah. uh, his court commander. And he's going to beg him, go, come on, oh, let's go, right? And Longstreet tells him, just chill. We're going to be going in soon. We got to wait for you. Know, to, go exactly sit in the said. corner for, and nope. chill. You got to, got to wait for Kershaw because the whole plan is you, we want to have troops less in your front because we want them to go over you know, to, to where Kershaw is, yep. was fighting by the Rose Farm and trying to hit the, hit the artillery from the south coming up that way. Was the yep. second and third, South Carolina, that, that whole story, right? He's going to get his moment. They're going to say, Longstreet's going to say, all right, get ready yep. to go. Okay? And that's not till what, so, 5.30 p.m., right? Well, it's about, you're right, it's about a, half, a full half an hour after Kershaw yep. goes in, right? So he's going to jump on his white horse mm-hmm. and he's going to lead his 1,400 Mississippians forward. There's a 250-pound guy on a white horse, With okay? Long white Must hair. Been, Long white hair that had a comb over. So when he took the hat off, it hung at his sh- shoulders. So he had this big wraparound thing that was blowing in the wind to even more of the hilarity of the whole story, right? Jeez. So he's going to ride in front of his former regiment, the 13th Mississippi, mm. and they're right in the middle of the line. He's going to stop right there and he instructs the entire brigade to unleash all at once a loud rebel yell as they go. Yep. Let's go, right? So they're going to start to move. They're going to move right into Dan Sickles' position, who was settled in at the Joseph Sherpy Farm and Sherpy's Peach Orchard. Now, again, Sherp, you know, the whole thing with Sickles, he moved his line forward. Well, yeah. whole, tell that whole story. But needless to say, Sickles is there, and it surprised a lot of people, okay? Those guns in the Peach Orchard that have been raining on Barksdale's men, Barksdale wants gone. He wants gone. He wants to do his order. Yeah. So they're going to move forward. Sickles' line is already so thin at this point. They have to plug in the gaps with artillery. That's and, how thin the line is. And because they've been, you know, having this kind of just firing the artillery, they are starting to run a little bit low on ammo and they are, the men are starting to get tired. And you have, you know, Barksdale coming in here, which he's described as riding on his horseback in front, leading the way, hat off, his wispy hair shining like the white plume of Navarre. Sounds like a fucking bad romance novel cover. That's what that has written all over it. It sounds like a white lion B-side. That sounds like right there, <laughs> you know. But but as he's going, as he's finally making to Emma's purpose with the 21st Mississippi under a guy named Colonel Benjamin Humphreys, right? Yep. He's going to have a 15, 20-minute knockdown, dragout brawl versus Charles Graham's Union Brigade of Pennsylvania's and New Yorkers right at that peach orchard. This includes the 141st uh, Pennsylvania mayor yep. that has those fantastic curry barbecue apple wings at Blue and Gray. Amazing. Made for them, 141st. Yes. Those are the best wings they have right there, but that's where they, they fought. This fight was so brutal that the smoke covered the entire field due to the artillery shells that were falling on the field. It killed a bunch of horses. Yeah. Don't forget, you need 14 horses for every gun. That And there was a ton of guns. That's how many horses there were. Yeah. And there was a bunch of dead horses all in that area. 114 Pennsylvania, Mary, called us as zoops, right? They were in their fezzes and those big MC hammer pants, yep. you know, those those whole things, right? <laughs> it's hammer and time. It's hammer, it's hammer time, all right, right? <laughs> it's zoop time. 
they're under they're under a guy <laughs> named Francis Cavada, okay? Yeah. And he's fighting Barksdale's men around the Sherpy farm, right behind your shorty of your shoulder right there. Yeah, you can actually exactly. see Cavada. We waved to him. Right okay. Somehow he's looking at the second one. It window also looks like the bang head. barn too. I think it might be. Might be, you know. Um, so anyway, God. And <laughs> So they're fighting. They're fighting at the farm, but just about a hundred, hundred or so yards north yeah. of the peach orchard. Now, Colonel Cavada, okay, he's going to be injured at Chancellorsville. To be honest, he's so he mm-hmm. ain't going to be there. What's interesting about him, by the way, Mary, after the war, he moves. Guess where? To Gettysburg to live full wow. time. And he lives. You know where he lives? That famous Red Patch House on Seminary Ridge. Really? That's where Cavada. Wow. That's he lives there. He ends up being a longtime Gettysburg resident. Mm. Um, Frederick Cavada, so there you go. But it was it was Collis who was leading them at this battle. So the hard charging Mississippians went right through them, yep. harder than they went through them faster than you at happy hour. They just ripped it right through. <laughs> anyway, so Barksdale does will get support from William Wofford's Georgians, about a thousand yep. guys who are next in line in that line of dominoes, that echelon yep. attack we talked about. Sickles men at this point do not have enough men, and they start to fall backwards. They start to fall, right? And they start running full banana back to Cemetery Ridge, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so this is that first major breakthrough that Longstreet was trying for in the yeah. line. It, and it hits here right at the Peach Orchard. So Barksdale and his men are going to Kool-Aid man it right through the Peach Orchard. And they're yeah. going to send them right through and create that gigantic gap. Charles, man, uh, Charles Grant's men end up running back full speed. Now Barksdale is in a position now where you got – he's moving forward, yeah. right? On his left is the great Cadmus Wilcox and his Alabamans, mm-hmm. Okay. What happens is Barksdale is going to end up trying to pivot now, and he's going to turn north head of, head of the Emmitsburg Road. Yep. And he's going to roll mm-hmm. up that Union flank, which he's going to try to do. So what, that's what his game plan is. Now, while he's doing this, he's still riding on that white horse. It's right around now that he's going to get hit in the foot with a piece of artillery. Yep. It's going to hit him so bad, it's going to be dangling. Like his foot is going to be holding on by a string oh, off, God. off of his leg. So it's not a pretty sight, okay? This is about a half an hour in at this point. And so Barksdale... He is going to split his brigade. He's still in the face. He's, yeah. he's still there. He's Barksdale. He is going to send three of his regiments north mm-hmm. to pivot around the Emmitsburg Road and head towards Cemetery Ridge up in that area. He's going to send his other one, keep going east towards that Trossel Barn. And that's where yeah. he's going to stay. He's going to, he's going to stay with them. He's going to sit there and he's going to yell, brave Mississippians, one more push and the day is ours. Yeah. That's what he's going to yell. And because he's trying to rally his men because his men are like, dude, come on. Well, they're getting to the fuck this point because it's been just such, you know, and, and there was some Mississippians after this charge that said that they, you know, basically just like broke right through. But there was some that said, no, no, no. The Union put up a fucking hell of a fight with them, you know, mm-hmm. just fire, constantly firing at them and stuff. But this is a really horrific charge that's happening. Like one member of the 17 Mississippi stated you could not shoot without hitting two or three of the Yankees. And then uh, from the Union perspective, like when the line begins breaking, a Union soldier said, the shattered line was retreating in separate streams, artillerists clinging to their still smoking guns and brave little infantry squads assisting them with their endangered cannon over the soft ground. And Sears describes what Barksdale does here as the living definition of unstoppable. Edward Porter Alexander, our old friend E.P. Alexander, he set up his guns in the peach orchard and was firing into the retreating union he thought that was the end right there because you yeah. every time every to your point every time they fired they hit something there was that many running and they yeah. saw them all the blue coat the blue, blue coats running but what's going to happen is barksdale is going to move his men towards sickles headquarters which is over at that trossel farm yeah. right he's going to run into his old friend george lamb willard 
from Harpers Ferry. That's who's going to run into yep. okay? the brigade, the Harpers Ferry cowards mm -hmm. who had that big mass capture in the Maryland campaign, that yep. embarrassing capture they had to deal with. So he's running into a very motivated Willard now, right? Oh, so he's ready. And this is that, this is near, is this near Plum Run? It's right near Plum Run, yep. not just, just north of the, where the first Minnesotans are, right in that yep. area. Right, in the, almost the same exact area. So Willard's men are going to move forward. They're going to run into those tired Mississippians who are running out of gas. Reportedly, yeah. the story was he was cheering and swearing at his men to get going. Yeah, I I found that right? quote. I'm like, holy shit, this guy, like, wow, he's crazy. And like, there was one. Um, so this is the 125th, 126th New York, and two of Willard's brigades are going to be held in reserve. But Hancock realizes that he needs to send in one more. So he's going to send in the 111th New York as well. And a member of the 125th New York said, with shells screaming and cannonballs tearing the air like so many fiends bent on destruction, now bursting above and around us, now plowing the ground at our feet, on and on we rush through the storm of fire and death, thundering above and darting around us like thunder and lightning of heaven. So this is like the Union are now pushing back like these guys the harper's ferry brigade are pushing back a lot in the same way that how barksdale started this charge because these are fresh troops that are coming into this so barksdale's sitting there down by the by plum run the 126 new york is going to merge on the right and the 125th on the left out of the bushes right in front of them an entire company of 40 guys are all going to aim their muskets at barksdale personally yeah they're going to fire He's going to be hit at least three times, realistically. Yep. What's going to happen is he is going to fall more be wounded after being hit. So he's going to finally fall because he's going to stay up. Barksdale's nephew, a guy named Captain Harris Barksdale, would say, General Barksdale was wounded and he reeled, but he did not halt. No. So he held on as long as he possibly could. He was hitting the ankle. He was hitting the leg. And finally, he was hitting the chest. And it was the chest shot that put him off the horse. Now, yeah. the thing about it is this is a guy who... He was admired by his guys. Mm -hmm. His guys loved him. He was a hard fighting guy. But you know what they do? They take off and they leave him for dead on yep. the field. They turn and they they hightail it and tail him go. The story of Barksdale's death, because I don't want to spoil it, Mary, he doesn't make it. The story of his death is interesting because it's the only reason why it's ever told is because of a couple of guys who found him, right? Yep. He's found by a guy named David Parker of the 14 Vermonts mm -hmm. and a musician. Okay, named Eddie Van Halen. No, named Robert <laughs> Cassidy of the 148th Pennsylvania. Okay? Amazing. <laughs> the, 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 they're going to find him. Now, the story is both of them are Freemasons. Yeah. And they noticed general, the general's Masonic buttons on his shirt that when they found him lying there. Now, Barksdale was a third-degree master mason at the Columbus Lodge in, uh, in Columbus, Mississippi. So they recognize his buttons. So he's alone on the grass. It's just before midnight. So it's midnight. He's, that's he's lying there, right? On July 2nd, the battle's long over. His men are all the way back at the Pizza Hut at this point. They just mm -hmm. left him. What they were doing was they were out there looking for wounded to take back to the Second Corps Field Hospital at the Jacob Hubble yeah. which is not, not far from um, where your picture is right there. And they discover that fire-eating general on the ground, right? They tried to give him water, but as he drank it, it came out of the hole in his chest. Oh, his God. Punched. So he drank it, and he swallowed it and come right out of his chest. And so that's that's... Not, not good right Ugh. there, right? So both of the men are like, well, we got to get him to the hospital because, you know, I think there's something Maybe. wrong with him. They put him on the wagon, right? At this moment, Barksdale starts swearing and telling off the Union guys for doing it, right? He tells his captives, beware. You will have Longstreet thundering in your rear in the morning. That's what he Ooh, says. Savannah. You know, <laughs> there's a lot of different ways you can take that one, okay? <laughs> yeah, wow. right? 
So Barksdale is placed in the yard of the Hollenbaugh house. During that night, he's going to die. He's going to die alone, mm-hmm. probably around dawn on July 3rd. And when that musician and the Mason Cassidy returned to check on him, they found him dead. And he noticed that many of his Masonic buttons were gone. Someone came and stole them. Right? Jeez. But, but he, had, he had one left. So what Cassie does as a Mason, he takes the button and he's going to get him. He's going to send it back to his wife, Narcissa Barksdale, back in Mississippi and tell the story of how he died and what they did for him. Cassie said when he found Barksdale, his eyes were wide open, covered with flies. Oh God! Ew! Right? Oh my so God! It was not a. It was not a. It was not a pretty sight, right? Um, and they gave him a, a Masonic funeral. Okay. They gathered some guys. They buried Barksdale. They buried him under a cherry a cherry tree on the Howell House, somewhere on that that thing. They made a makeshift grave marker. What was interesting, ironically, they had a coffin made for him. The coffin they were going to use to bury Barksdale, they ended up taking and giving it to a girl named Jenny Wade instead. Oh my was killed God! That morning. Wow! So while baking bread for the Union soldiers at her sister's house on Baltimore Street, so that the, the casket that was going to be used to bury Barksdale, they ended up giving it to Jenny Wade because they gave it to her instead. Wow! So they ended up burying um, Barksdale by him, just burying him, and that was it. Stories is—it's weird with Barksdale. The whole story with the wife and the dog is always fascinating. Barksdale later on, his wife Narcissa brings the family dog to Pennsylvania to come retrieve his body. Yeah, that's what he's going to do. The story is when they get to the Hubble house, the dog started to act all weird, right? Get to the grave and he wouldn't leave the grave. So they dug up, they dug up Barksdale. They put him into a wagon. The dog stayed in front of the empty hole and wouldn't leave. And he just cried and cried, but wouldn't leave. He wouldn't drink water. Eventually the dog died of dehydration and they buried him and they buried the dog in the empty grave where his master was buried. So today, there's a dog buried still wow. to this day, right there. I'm gonna have to go and see that s- next time. I'm- and they and something they say at night every so often, you could hear a dog screaming at the Hallbaugh house. Aww. So who knows, right? His body was finally returned to a place called Greenwood Cemetery in Jackson, Mississippi, mm-hmm. and the legend of Mississippi goes on. His legend is in Mississippi is gigantic because his charge, which is going to be later known as Barksdale's charge, is considered by by from starting from a southern perspective be one of the most courageous marches in the entire war. They yep. still talk about it. That's what the Union you... said about it, too, that they said it was the grandest charge ever made by mortal man. You know, this is something that is, it's happening the day before Pickett's charge. It's, like I said, I, I found a couple of things, like there is a book out there that talks about how this might be the high watermark of the Confederacy or the other one, too, just because of what Barksdale does here with this charge, like how ferocious it is. But I can see why he's still, you know, I was reading, too, how he's still held in high regard in Mississippi, despite his Well, I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a guy, say what you will about any of these people, especially the Confederate side. We talk a lot about guys who kind of swallowed the dog a little bit, guys like John Mosby, right, James mm-hmm. Longstreet, guys like that. This is a guy who was in the Jubal Early School of No Way in Hell, right? He was a hard-charging, yeah. hard-fighting guy who was set in his ways. He's somebody who fought to the very end. He was aggressive. Mm-hmm. Um, and his story, his Fredericksburg story is a good one, but his Gettysburg story is one that um, that people, not just in Gettysburg, but people in Mississippi talk about. And it's yeah. one that um, it's, it's really, really fascinating. I was I, I was always fascinated by the Jenny Wade Coffin story. That was that that's, always fascinating. That one's really, that is a fascinating story. I'd heard the dog, like I, I, you know, when you start talking about it, I'm like, oh, I've heard the dog story before. Mm-hmm. And as a, you know, person who loves dogs like that, it's sad. Even if it is Barksdale, that is like 
really sad that clearly the animal had a bond with him and stuff and could tell he had been there and obviously wasn't around anymore. Um, Uh One fascinating thing I found in the research was, you know, he at Chancellorsville, he is one of Longstreet's, you know, there's not very many of Longstreet's men fighting at Chancellorsville, but he's back at Fredericksburg again, defending Mary's Heights. And who is he defending it against? Sedgwick. Yep. And, Se- and I think it's Sedgwick who break. And I think Sedgwick is the one then on this third charge to finally break through his lines. Barksdale like fucking boots it 11th Corps style out of town. But then Sedgwick fucking leaves. And Barksdale goes back and, and reoccupies Mary's Heights again in Fredericksburg. So, you know, he's a guy that has fought in a lot of these major battles. But in some cases, um, you know, Gettysburg being the exception. And I think Fredericksburg as well. He's almost in background areas of the battles. You know what I mean? Like what, what happens at Chancellorsville where he's back at Fredericksburg, which is also referred to as Second, Fred, Second Battle of Fredericksburg. It's uh-huh. almost a background thing. It's like when he's at Harper's Ferry. It's almost happening in the background. So he's not a part of as many major battles like that a lot of these other generals are, but he's more right. in the background. But I think that's another thing that makes him very interesting to study because if you study him, you're going to find out about, you know, what happens at Harper's Ferry. You're going to find out, you know, what happens at with him at Battle of Chancellorsville, which is basically he's fighting Second Fredericksburg there. So he, he was, a, you know, despite he, he's a terrible human, he's an interesting one to study. But the Gettysburg is what he's most nor- known for and probably shows, you know, 100% who he was as a person and a military commander. Yeah, that's William Barksdale in a nutshell is, is his march. His way, yeah. he was chomping at the bit to get in, leading his guys right from the front, taking wounded, taking wounds, staying on the battle, still splitting his army up. His army's running out of gas, is his, his uh, brigade. He's, he's firing them up, he's gonna, and he gets killed. And it's somewhat ironic that the guy he whipped at Harpers Ferry is the guy who whipped him at Gettysburg. That right? I love that part of the story. You know, when I found out it was Willard and in, in the Harper's his Harper's Ferry men like that must have been just sweet sweet vengeance for him and and you can bet it's kind of like you know you have um so going to the western theater you have battle of missionary ridge you have george henry thomas charging his men charging up that ridge even though grant's like don't do that but they do anyway and they keep going they go past the first rifle pits and up the other ones and and what are they saying as they charge up there chickamauga chickamauga and like you said earlier you made a really good point about how these battles become personal. And I think what happened at Gettysburg with Willard was a lot like Thomas's men at Chickamauga. It became personal. It became about, I don't want to say vengeance, but just we need to get back at you well, for this. Well, uh, his, his revenge was short-sighted because he'd be killed about five minutes later. Oh, the God. So he, didn't, he didn't make it. So <laughs> um, he had a really vicious, vicious killing. He's, but, but, but Willard, he ended up, uh, he ended up dying uh, not long after the, um, they repulsed those, those Mississippians. So when you think about a lot of these men, battle. we mentioned Sedgwick, who went against Barksdale, ends up dying too. He doesn't make it through the Civil War either. Another guy who got his revenge on Barksdale. So it's just, it's just the way yep. it is. So it's all circular. It all is. But every one of these battles has a battle within a battle. And every one of these people who fights these battles, again, it's all about people. Yeah. Everyone has their own story and have their own things. Those two dudes from Harvard who hate each other, find yep. themselves fighting at Fredericksburg. All all this, um, these little silly little things that whoever would got these guys fired up to fight about. But sometimes it was a thing. And the story within the story 
is what makes the bigger battle that much better. Exactly. I think William, William Barksdale's story is a good one because it's, it's true Civil War combat. Somebody who believes in what he fought and fought with what he believed, but he's somebody who um, he gave his life for what he thought. He you know, did. Tell, tell, my, tell my wife I died fighting the enemy. Yep. One of those very popular quotes he said to those guys who found him. First thing he does when they try to take him, he starts swearing and telling them off. Give me off the way, you know, fucker. But again, it tells you the bond of Freemasonry, though, because it they does. took care of him. They made sure they took care of him and they, they took, went right to the very end, including getting his final Masonic button back to his wife, Narcissa, who, yep. um, who was sent back to that. So that's that. So William yep. Barksdale, you know, that's a, it's, it's a very interesting guy to study. No, he is. He's somebody who um, ever, a lot of people have heard of him who studied the Civil War. Yeah. But his story internally of what he's all about is fascinating. And he's just somebody who um, definitely has a lot of fun to, uh, to, t- to check yeah. up on from time to time. But like I said, though, you know, like you hear Barksdale and you, you think Gettysburg, you don't think of his role in the Battle of Chancellorsville. And if you, you know, again, if you study it, you're going to get to look at that second battle of Fredericksburg that not many people look at because of what's happening at Chancellorsville, right? But it's still equally fascinating as what's I think is what's happening over at Chancellorsville just because it's you know he repulses the first two charges the third one breaks through he boots it out of there and then Cedric is like well I got Fredericksburg and then he's got to go back to fucking Chancellorsville and then next thing you know he's getting an order you know Barksdale's getting an order we'll go reoccupy the town again and he's back at Mary's Heights where he was you know 24 hours before it, it's just part of an interesting story that doesn't get told a lot. And that's why I said, you know, as much as Barksdale's in these big battles like Gettysburg and uh, Fredericksburg, he's behind the scenes, you know, still fighting in a lot of these other battles too. And that's right. what I found very fascinating about him. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what's down the pike? What's next, Mayor? So next we are going back to the Western Theater and we are going to be talking um, about a small battle called Bull's Gap which uh, does not get studied a lot. Admittedly, I, it's not one I've looked a lot about. A lot at a, it's not one that I have looked at a lot, but we thought like, well, let's have a look at that and kind of tell the story of it and see how it plays into this bigger picture of the Civil War, especially what's happening at the, in the Western Theater at that time. Um, and then we are going to be taking a week off. We are. But we well, will still be doing great. our Facebook Live that weekend. It is the weekend of, I believe it is Saturday, November 13th. We will be doing our right Facebook Live. There. And then we will be back with, God, I, mi- I get this name mixed up, Spring Mills. It's a battle before Franklin anyway. Yeah, we, we get to go back to Franklin yeah, and do more the day, work the day before. On, 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 on Franklin. That's very, very cool. So yeah. looking forward to that, Mary. Again, it was a great time to talk about the... Uh, Talk about some of these individual guys. It's fun talking about the battles and the strategy and what goes behind them. But sometimes it's fun just to talk about some of the the, the, the cast of characters. And um, Mark's still yeah. certainly a character without a doubt. Well, so, we had a lot of fun with Lytle and we thought, well, why not Why not do this again? So I'm sure next time we do this, we'll, we'll cover a Union general and then we'll go back to a Confederate. Because, I mean, these there was two sides to this story of the Civil War. And, I mean... As much of a fire eater as what William Barksdale was, he's an interesting part of the story that uh, definitely to have a full understanding of it, he needs to be included in it. No question. No question. All right. Well, off we go again. A great job as always by you. Had a lot of fun doing this and we will um, get ready to talk about some new exciting things down the road. So we will talk to you at the, at the live uh, next time we do it. Yep. And uh, we'll have have some fun talking about some smaller battles that lead to bigger battles. Yep. So, anyway, Mary, always a pleasure. Again, we all say it all the time. I'll say it a million times. I'll say it again. The pleasure was all yours. And we will have fun talking to you soon. Yep. And you rocked it, by the way. This is awesome. Yeah. This is definitely this is definitely your thing 
tonight with with Barksdale and all that. So it was, I learned a lot from you. So Busting awesome. off all that Halloween candy, man. <laughs> ah, so you broke down and opened. Of <laughs> I did. Peanut butter cups did not see did God. not see that bucket. No, you should freeze them. those and then eat them. Any other life advice you, you could spill? Follow you for more recipes, Mary. Yep. <laughs> anyway, all right. <laughs> We'll talk to you soon. Peace out, everybody. See you later, guys. Bye. <laughs>